Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. All right, so we are in Philippians, and uh, we started last week, and uh, in, our, in, our, in our passage today, it talks about uh, like a way of life. And really the whole, the whole book talks about that. Uh, it's not saying this is how you do religion, but this is really saying this is how you can really do all of life. And so um, it's uh, nothing superficial though. It's not just something that kind of like, oh, this is nice to put off the side. It's, it's actually something that you wrap your whole life around. You know, it was Jesus that, uh, that said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. Well, what are the other things? Like, well, the, what will I wear? What will I eat? What will I drink? Where will I live? Where will I work? Uh, how will life go? You know, just the things that Jesus said, don't worry about these things. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all those other things will be added unto you as well. And um, within the way of living in this passage, we see perspective talked about, like the perspective of God. Perspective is a way of seeing things or thinking about things. And then the power of God is, is there. It's not mentioned specifically, but it's always there because the power of God is typically how we all actually, uh, like we long for the power of God in our lives. We long for the power of God because the power of God is like, God, you're going to change things. God, you're going to fix this. God, you're going to rescue me from this. God, you're going to help me out of this, this mess that I've gotten in or, or this thing that's happening. So we long for the power of God, but in our passage, we don't see so much the power of God, but the perspective of God. So Dave, we're getting feedback. Some, I think something's on back here. Thank you. Um, and so, so let's, uh, as we dive in, let's consider that perspective and power. Um, Philippians chapter two, verse five is our theme verse for the, for our study of it. And it says this, it says, uh, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And so other way of saying it is you must have the same thinking as Christ Jesus. So in other words, the way you approach your life, let the life and story of Jesus and the way that he lived his life be the way that you live your life uh, in letting him influence it. Now, what we see Paul do in this passage is we actually see him, uh, we see him make a switch in his thinking. And it's, it's gaining that perspective of Jesus uh, versus just looking for the power. And uh, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about one of my sons when they played basketball. Uh, they were just old enough uh, like lower elementary school, just old enough that they had the full court going on a, on a full basketball court. And uh, it was so the one thing that coaches told the players, look, yes, shoot, yes, dribble, but this is your basket, right? <laughs> and so they just nailed it into them and started the game. That's your basket. That's your basket. Where do we go? Put the ball there. Both coaches said, okay, where's your basket? Right there. Okay, you know, they got it down, right? The problem is this. At halftime, you switch baskets. <laughs> and so it was this hysterical scene where the second half, both teams were running, running to the other basket. And then, and then finally, one of the kids brought it to their own basket. And everybody cheered both sides because they had switched baskets. And that's what we see Paul do in this passage. And you guys, this is the key thing. Yes, you pray a prayer. You, you say, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender to you. But if you don't switch baskets, 
following Jesus will be very frustrating for you. Being a Christian will be very frustrating for you because as a Christian, you have a completely different basket than that that you live with without Jesus. And it's actually the basket of real life. It's actually the basket of like true, lasting, real life. But you've got to make the switch. We all have to. And so that's what we see in the passage. So let's look at verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. It says this, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. And so when he says, everything that's happened to me here has helped to spread the gospel, well, what's happened to him? Paul is in jail, and he was in jail a bunch of other times as well. He's in jail for his faith in Christ and for spreading Christ to other people. And so uh, you would look at this and you would say, well, pr- the progress of the gospel, which is a major theme here, the progress of the gospel has stopped. And what's ironic is he's writing to the Philippians about the progress of the gospel while he's in jail. Because if you read in Acts chapter 16, you see the starting of the Philippian church. And you see this amazing scene where Paul and his companions are actually put in jail And at night, what happens is is that God miraculously rescues them from jail, opens the prison doors, and they come out. It's the middle of the night. They're praising God. They're worshiping in the midst of jail. And then the jailer actually gives his life to Jesus Christ. He's baptized and his entire family because he's so blown away by the the power of God. He can even open prison doors. And so as we look at this, we say, well, where's the power of God now? I mean, they, they know the story. They saw it. They, they saw lives changed by God opening prison doors. But now you've got Paul in prison writing this letter to them, enter the perspective of God. It was so good to see the power of God where everything was changed, but now comes the perspective of God. You see, power... The power of God opens prison doors without a doubt. God can do anything, and he does those things as he sees fit. But see, perspective opens the doors of our minds, which is lasting and powerful, and in some ways more powerful than that God intervening in that moment with his power and rescuing. It changes our minds. For instance, like anxiety is rampant today. Anxiety is rampant in our world because because so much has gone wrong. Like, you know, people talk about adversity. It's just like, yeah, which, what part? Like, you know, I mean, everything's been shaken up. My work, my, my home life, my family, uh, everything is, is shaken up. And so adversity, adversity throws us off. And when adversity comes in life, it tests us. We see what we're really made of. We see what we've accomplished. We, we see actually what we're, what we're, what we've, tr- how we've truly made progress. And so adversity is rampant. And and when things are off, we end up getting anxious because we look at it and we tell ourselves a story about where things are headed and where things are going and, and we get thrown off. You see, perspective does battle with anxiety and it overcomes anxiety because the perspective of God actually brings his thinking in. 
You see, we live our lives and we, we get in this little myopic area and we can just see right in front of us, just so close. And yet God sees this whole stretch of all of history. And he looks at our entire life, just from even before we were born, when he thought about us and formed us in our mother's womb, we see this picture that God just sees all of that. And he, he sees these moments where it seems like for us, like that everything's falling down, the world is going down, everything's going down. And yet God sees the mountain that we're climbing, but he also sees the summit. He also sees the joy that's ahead. But somehow he's able to approach us in such a way that he doesn't belittle us. He doesn't belittle us and say, well, look, things are heading good, so just will you stop whining? He doesn't approach us that way, right? Because Jesus, what does it say? It says that he was tempted in every way that we were, yet he didn't sin. He lived, he lived the life we live. He, he experienced the emotions that we had. He lived that, and so he's able to minister to us in that time. And so the perspective of God is what we see here, and we see what Paul has. But look what it says. It says that because of his imprisonment, Others were confident and bold. And so what Paul is doing is he's modeling this in and through life where the the story and life of Jesus is in me and it's through me. He's modeling it for everybody. And uh, the reason I say this is that the power hasn't come where he's miraculously set loose. And so he models in front of everybody. Instead of getting anxious with everyone else, Paul models and what does he do? In our passage we just read, it says that it says that um, that uh, the, it's evident to everyone that he's in chains for Christ. And he speaks of the the guards of, of the Roman household, and and later on he speaks of the family of the Roman Roman household. He's saying like, even though I'm in jail, the gospel continues to progress even here in this place. So Paul doesn't miss a beat. He keeps living this life, even though the power hasn't come to set him free. He keeps living this life because he has the perspective of God. And everybody looks, that's why they're emboldened to preach. They're like, oh my gosh, the gospel continues and moves on. And this good news, which is making everything new, continues even in jail. Even in that place, we see all of this moving forward. And so that's why people are encouraged and emboldened to do this because of what Paul does there. Now listen, modeling like the Christian life and Christian spirituality it doesn't happen in here. This is the locker room. The church, the gathering of the church is always the locker room from the beginning until now. It always is. And so you want a model for your spirituality, for your Christian spirituality, for following Jesus that we gather here and you hear stories of modeling, stories of this in and through life lived out, but don't like simply follow someone that just models it here, just because you have it here. Find somebody that you can grab onto, that you can poke and test and feel their life. Find somebody that, that lives out their life, that, that loves their, their spouse, that loves their family, that loves their kids, or that, that loves being single and follows that out and lives mightily after that. And they live with, with integrity or, or dates and, and honors others and does that. Or, or they live their business in such a way that they honor God with all that they do with their taxes and their finances and everything. So find somebody that you can grab onto that you can, you can sense, you can smell that, oh, this is real. That's where you model it. You see, Paul preached all kinds of sermons that were powerful and moved people, but he's preaching the biggest one ever by what he's going through now. 
And so find somebody that models this Christian life in their real life, not just at church, right? This is a place we share stories about modeling, but it's actually not where we model. John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement of Churches, he said the meat is on the street. What does that mean? Well, meat for the mature, like the word says. Well, it's saying you show your maturity, not in the church gathering. You show your maturity out on the street, out in your neighborhood, at your workplaces. That's where you live it out. And I would say, though, too, for you, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, you be pokeable. You be close enough to touch. You be one that you're close enough, you're living your real life that Anybody can look in and see, this is how you follow Jesus. This is how you live after Jesus Christ so that people can test your faith. Now in verse 15, Paul continues. He says, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful for me, to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. And so motives matter, right? You see this scene, you say, this is awesome. People are preaching Jesus more and they're encouraged about the the progress of the gospel because of Paul's modeling life, but it's a mess. And this should encourage us because as you look at the scene across Christianity and you see, you know, people will teach things, you know, in a different way. People will, you know, make mistakes. People will sin. People will do all kinds of stuff. People will, uh, you know, make it about themselves and, and, and touch God's glory in some ways, you know, and it's about me, all this stuff. Listen, it's always been that way. So just bring it down. Like, just relax. Because guess what? God works in that mess. There's not one person that has ever shared the gospel perfectly. There's not one person that has done it right perfectly besides Jesus. The rest of us are trying to follow after and trying to make it right. I mean, Paul, he's in prison like this, you know, and he's living for Jesus, but he makes mistakes. Peter, who preached probably the greatest sermon that was ever preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ and went all throughout the world and spread the gospel. Shortly after that, he was with Paul and some other people, and, uh, you know, he wouldn't hang out with the Gentiles, right? He, He wouldn't sit with the Gentiles at their table. He would only sit with the Jews and he felt the peer pressure from them. And and Paul talks about that, how Paul called them out. And so it's always been a mess, you guys, this thing that we call the church, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so that's what we see here is is that we see that some people are preaching out of impure motives. Well, what does that mean? It's not that they're not preaching the gospel because Paul doesn't leave room for that. He's like, the gospel's being preached. But somehow they're tweaking it and they're making it about themselves and, and they're, they're pushing against him and, and make, trying to make it hurt more for Paul. We don't know exactly, but we just know that somehow their, their motives were off in the way that they were doing things. But the gospel was still being preached. And then others did it and Paul says that they love me. And so what he's, he's, I think what he's saying is he's saying like they love the true, like they, they, they love the true way about this, which is it's all about Christ. 
It's not kind of these other ways and this other mess. Like they're, they're, they have the same values as me. I think, I think that's what he's saying. But remember what we looked at last week. Paul prayed this prayer for these people. And one of the things he prayed in verse 10 was that, I pray that you would know what truly matters. I mean, doesn't that sound good? In the midst of all the information, all the misinformation, all the other stuff out there in life, that you and I would know like what really matters. That we'd be able to parse through all the junk, all of the noise, and just say, that's all just dressing. Like this is the, this is the core of what really matters. Well, th- that's what Paul shows us here. Because he says in verse 18, he says, whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is preached either way. So I rejoice. And so joy is found in what really matters, you guys. You see, joy is like a continued happiness, but it's not happiness in the sense that happiness is is conditional. If this, then I'll be happy. But see, joy is greater than pleasure or pain. Joy is in spite of things. Uh, I, I like to listen to, there's this, it's not on a CD now, but I can pull it up on like, Google radio or YouTube radio and Apple music and stuff, but it's, it's the Georgia mass choir and it's, it's this gospel music and there's this song in there and, and they sing and I'm not going to sing it cause it would be bad, but it's, it's basically, um, uh, the, the person singing says no food on the table. And then the whole choir says joy, <laughs> you know, basically you make it a country song. I lost my dog, my wife, my truck and all those things. Joy. <laughs> You know, it's just like, in spite of all of this, there's joy. Why? Not because it doesn't matter, not because I'm delusional, because I'm rooting my life on what really matters, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't be duped thinking that this is about pastors or ministers or missionaries or those things. This is not even speaking about anything religious. It's talking about real life and what you can actually wrap your life around. So you guys wrap your entire life around the gospel of Jesus. It is actually the renewing of all things. It's actually the renewing of all creation. It's actually fixing the things that are all wrong in the world. That's what Paul's getting at. Wrap your entire life around the life and story of Jesus. It'll permeate everything that you have. And, you know, ask the question, Ask the question, like, Jesus, how, like, how, how can I live out your story at my workplace? You know, how, how can I live out your story in my marriage? It really matters. How, how can I live out your story with my kids? How, how can I live out my, your story with my neighbors? It, it absolutely permeates those things. And if you say to yourself, well, I, I don't know about that. That's, that's a little like focused, you know, it's like, well, what else are you going to do? Everything else has been tried and it doesn't work. I mean, our, our, our political world is a testimony of that. We get excited that people are going to change things. We get excited that systems and, and politicians and governments and, and leaders are going to change things. And yet the only thing that truly changes things is the gospel of Jesus Christ, because in it is a love that can even change me, that can even change my heart. Not 
along the surface, not along the ethereal level, but can actually get to the root of me that I am fundamentally and completely a changed and transformed person. That is the gospel. That is the good news. It is the only thing. And so there's nothing else that's worth your life to wrap it around. In verse 19, it says, for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. And so <clears throat> Paul does something here. He uses like a, a literary technique. He intertextualizes. So what he's doing is he's taking the idea that we see all throughout the Old Testament, like the book, the book of Job, which some think was possibly the first uh, written book of the Bible uh, and in the, in the oldest happenings too. Uh, it, you know, with Job, you know, he's the poor man. And then all throughout the Psalms, you, you see the idea of the poor man within the Old Testament. So what Paul is doing is he's taking this, this text of the Old Testament and the ideas that are in these passages and much of what he writes actually lines up very closely to some of the passages in Job in Psalms as well. And he takes it and he puts it in there. And anybody that, that knew scripture in the original language, it's harder as we translate. Uh, anybody that read that, they would have been cued off. That, oh, he's showing this picture, this aligning with the poor man in the Old Testament. And well, what's the theme with Job and with these other people in Psalms is that life is really bad. And actually, no, this isn't because of sin. I'm actually living righteously, but I'm still not upset with God. And I will be vindicated. I'll be vindicated for, for, for what's happening to me. I'll be saved. I'll be set free. So that's always the theme of the poor man is, is that, look, this isn't because of me. This is something that was done to me, but I will be vindicated and God will be the one that does it. But for Paul, he says that it's by the prayers of the people and by the Holy Spirit. The focus in the language is not on what the prayers of the people can do for him or what the Holy Spirit can do for him, the power, but it's actually on the presence. He's saying that, that, that by the prayers of the people, that they are actually present with me. And that the Holy Spirit what I long for and what will make the difference is actually the presence of the Holy Spirit, not what he can do. Again, not power, but perspective is what will make all the difference. That what's, that's what Paul is hoping on, and that's what he's putting his life on. I will tell you that where it says in verse 20, it says, it says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. Christian hope is not wishful thinking. When you see hope in the New Testament, it's not talking about like, well, gosh, I hope so. You know, like somebody says, like, are you going to get the job? Are you going to, you know, are things, you know, are you going to, uh, you know, get the contract? Or are you going to, are you going to win the championship? Or, you know, I, I hope so. No, Christian hope is this, is this absolute confidence in, this absolute surety of what's going to happen. And so Paul, he says, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, that I will continue to be bold for Christ. And so Paul models a way of living that has its end to bring honor to Christ. 
the last part, it says, my life will bring honor to Christ. You know, how, how would your job, like your, your job performance be different if your main goal was not for your boss to like you, you know, fellow employees to like you or, or for you, people, you know, or any other thing besides that you would honor God? You know, how, how would your marriage be different? You know, if you, if, if you just said, you know, my main purpose is to not be right, you know, or to, to you know, these things, but, but it's, it's to honor God in my marriage. You know, how, how, how would your parenting, your relationship with your kids or, or your relationship with your parents be different if you said, you know, my focus is to honor God with my relationships, my most important relationships in my life. It would absolutely transform them. And, and the word honor here is, is the root of his uh, mega leno, which is like, uh, it's like this making much of. It's saying that, that I'm going to live my life in such a way that, that I make much of Christ, that I make much of who he is. And so the way that I love, the way that I forgive, the way that I serve, the way that I interact with people, all that I do, I'm going to decide that it's going to make much of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is encouraging about here. And I, I will tell you, you know, if, if the muscles on this are hard to get going at first. Because we're so used to getting excited about other things in, in life. And we're so used to, quite honestly, to get excited about ourselves. And so when we try to, in, in, like, to activate these muscles that we don't necessarily use, and we use these muscles to make much of Jesus instead of ourselves and other things, it's, it, it can be hard at first. And you say, well, this is silly, or this is stupid, or I feel like a fool, or, you know, I, is this really doing anything, or what's the point? But as you work the muscles more and more, you'll say, you know what, this is what it's all about. I mean, it's all over the New Testament of the followers of Jesus is to make more of him and less of us. Um, we, we lived in Colorado for five years, and, uh, you know, I, I've, surfed, I've surfed since I was uh, 11 years old. And so, um, and love surfing. And, and uh, so uh, the first longest stretch that I hadn't, you know, for a long time was we were in Colorado. And so we'd go back and we'd surf and every so often and stuff. And, but then I moved back to California from Colorado for extended time. And so uh, got a new board and wets and all these things. And my buddy brought me out and he's, he, he, we had never surfed together before. And he's a really good surfer. And, and I'm just sitting there, I'm like, <sighs> and I mean, it's brutal. Uh, don't laugh. Listen, if, if, you know, unless you're in really, really good shape and you swim or do other things, it's just, you use muscles that you just never use. And so the first couple of months were brutal. I mean, it's just, I could hardly get out and catch any waves. I was just like, I was just happy to just be in the water, you know? And that's how it is now that I live in Kansas. Well, you know, we, we go back. I don't care how big the waves are. I don't care what, you know, anything. I just get in the water and I'm refreshed and renewed. Right. But, um, but it hurt because I wouldn't use the muscles. And it's that same way, it's that same way with, uh, with, with honoring Jesus. At first, it feels kind of unnatural or it feels, you know, because it goes against things. But as you work those muscles more and more, you'll see a difference. So in verse 21, Paul says this, and, and this is probably uh, could be the core of the, the book too. And it is probably one of the greatest statements in all of scripture. And what Paul says here, he says, for to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. 
I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which will be better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. And so what we see here is we see a checkmate life. Paul is completely checkmated. He, he, he decided that he would shoot at another basket, that he would shoot after this basket of my circumstances and my current surroundings don't define my life, but actually what Christ has done and what will be defines my life. And so even though things go bad, I still have hope because I actually live in a different place. And so he lives in such a way now that he's checkmated. And if we read the scriptures, Old and New Testament, the same way that the early Christians did, we would know that too, is that we are absolutely checkmated into an altogether different way of living. We're actually checkmated into actually living in a place that we have no other move, but actually wrap our lives, our entire selves around this person of Jesus and say, Jesus, live your life through me. Live your life and story through me, for that's what I want. Uh, Literally, the Greek here is to live Christ, to die gain. Doesn't matter what happens, it's all really good. That's what he declares. He can do more fruitful work for Christ if he lives. He can can do it for the sake of others. He can help them grow and experience the joy of their faith. And if he continues to live too, unmentioned, but always there is that he can sacrifice and suffer for Christ as well. That's always a part of it as we continue this. But then he says to die is gain and he longs to go and be with Christ. I will tell you guys, this is where, This is where growth happens. Growth happens where you take the the thing that you really want God to do. You really want God to change this or fix this or do this thing. This is where growth happens where you say, you say, even if this doesn't get fixed, even if this doesn't change, even if this thing stays the way it is, that is not the main thing. The main thing is Christ. When you do that, you move into an altogether different place. And you move closer to him and closer to who you are to be. You know, uh, perspective and power. I was thinking about um, this couple um, that uh, um, was a part of uh, a church we were part of. And um, we met with them several times for their, um, for like marriage counseling. And uh, they, uh, like they got perspective. They got the perspective, the mind of Christ on their marriage. And, 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 and things changed. They started changing things, but they were still pretty, like they were still in a pretty bad spot. And then, and then one Sunday, uh, a speaker came in, a friend of mine, and, um, and like that day, the power of God just like broke loose in their marriage. You see, they were getting the perspective. They were getting that and they were thinking differently. But, but then the power of God came and it was like the turning point. And now it's like they just have this beautiful relationship. Just like 
so changed and, 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 and you can tell that they see each other differently. You, you can tell that they, they love each other differently. You can see how they, they, they are their, each other's greatest fan and, and, and they serve one another, encourage one another, and lift each other up and defer to one another. And, and it's a great picture of what God is like. But it took those two things, the perspective and the power. And so, so don't think that I'm not saying that the power of God is not there. But you can't have one without the other. You know, the person that's always expecting just the, for the power of God to come, but never the perspective, you depersonalize God. And you depersonalize the situations that are happening around you. But the person that is just looking for the perspective without the power, that person, they lose connection with, I think, with the heart of God and the heart of other people. Because then it's just kind of their, this is my law of stoicism. This is just how it is. There's no hope of rescue. And so those two together, the power and the presence of God, absolutely make all the difference. You know, uh, Paul was able to live this way because he, 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 he drank at the fountain of Jesus. He, 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 he dwelled there. He lived there. You know, um, we read a lot of scripture you know, like we have the bookmark and, and when we preach, we read scripture. You need to know this, that what's powerful to change your life is not what I say. What's powerful to change your life is the word. The word itself, just being read and God speaking to you through it, will change and transform you. It's the powerful thing. And Paul wrote to another group of people, to the Philippians, and he wrote this prayer, and I want to pray it over you because you all need perspective. I need perspective. You all need God's power to intervene. I need God's power to intervene. But we don't control it. And so... There's this knowing of getting and walking along that happens, and it's this changing of thinking in life. And I think that this is what Paul is getting at with this prayer, and I want to pray it over you today. This is from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, and the words aren't up here on purpose because I want you just to receive and listen. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.